Good morning, Wilkinson here. Today I am with Jared Rohrer. Now, I knew Jared when he lived in Palm Springs. We're trying to figure out how long ago we were talking, but I must have been, what, three, four years? Yeah, I met you in 2017. Okay, so five years. Well, anyway, say hi to everybody, Jared. Hello, That's him. End of discussion, we're done. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Jared has an interesting story. Tell a little about your general story, and then we'll branch off. How about that? It's fun to be a part of a community full of men with interesting stories. A few things that might that I think are interesting about my story. One, I was raised in a very, very Mormon household, and I loved being Mormon. It was like the thrill of my life. I was very devout, 100% into it. So that made gay feelings very complex. Of course, um, people say, well, when did you know you were gay? And I'm like, well, there's no holding place for gay. I just felt like a pervert for being into men's bodies and thinking about penises and underwear and stuff like that. The idea is, is that I felt a lot of shame because of how much I loved being Mormon. I felt a lot of shame for not being able to to think clearly. And that shame blossomed so, so deeply that um, I was a small boy when I was watching TV and they were talking about, I might've been a preteen, but they were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. And I was like, that's who I am. I'm that guy. But because I believe in Jesus and I got Mormon parents, I haven't done anything bad, but that's what I would do without the constraints of Mormonism or something like that. Do you, you think know? you were just looking at yourself as evil and that's why or what? What, well, was, what was that about? It's hard to know because, you know, shame begets more shame. Right. So uh, some people will say that there's there's been some pointing to that like ancestral energies pass on. So if I had grandfathers and great grandfathers that did dark things in secret, they never came to light and they'll pass on. Others will say, well, you just started to loathe yourself so profoundly that you identified with the darkest person that you'd ever heard of and just thought that's who you are. And I don't know which, I just know that, that, that it was. So finding younger guys and killing them and eating them was not your thing. No, you just, you just related to the darkness of it, right? Yeah. I related to the darkness. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. So I was like, that could be me. That could be me. Right. That's where I'm headed. And uh, that, that fear definitely, definitely as I progressed, I mean, I was in um, conversion therapy, trying not to be gay as I got to be uh, in my early twenties. I did that for 10 years and I was obsessed. I had, you know, just so obsessed with this darkness that, yeah, there was, there was definitely compelling thoughts compelling me to hurt vulnerable people, not just children, but like, you know, drug somebody, do something to them, break in their house, steal something, you know, just dark, dark thoughts that were so compulsive that I slowly started entertaining more and more acting on them. And I thought, you know, before I hurt somebody, I'll kill myself. But there was definitely this belief that said I belong in jail or I deserve to be in jail or I deserve to be dead. So you felt like you couldn't control yourself. Yeah, it was getting, it was getting to that, um, it was getting to that point. For 10 years, I was in conversion therapy. And for 10 years, I exhausted all the resources a Mormon church had to offer. And uh, it's interesting. I finally landed in a, a Sexaholics Anonymous 12-step group that was like custom designed by the universe for me. And in that group, uh, I, I, I can't recommend 12-step groups like wholeheartedly because some of them are really dysfunctional and they they have some beliefs I don't agree with today. But at this point in time, this was a perfect stage for me to start to expose the depth of my shame to um, men who were straight, who identified as being straight, 
And uh, as I began to do that, because I knew I was going to go to jail or I was going to die before one of those things happened, I might as well take the bold step of letting someone see the real me. In doing that, I actually discovered this amazing thing that I was met with love. I was met with understanding. I was met with men who could relate and their shame really began to dissipate and I began to heal. Concurrently, I was reading the work of Brene Brown, you know, who talks about the gifts of imperfection and basically being transparent and kind of owning who you are. So I used the 12-step group as a chance to really own who I was and to my dismay, the darkness and the compulsive, I was compulsively addicted to food and, and sexual type behaviors, and they just began to dissipate. And the void inside of me started to kind of, uh, I'd say, fill up, you know, mm-hmm. the fear and the anxiety and the self-loathing all started started to shift, but I had a lot of momentum towards... And how old were you when you were in the 12 step? I was in my, like, uh, it would have been early 30s. Oh, early 30s, okay. Yeah. Now, had you brought up the topic of you being gay with your family or friends or anything? Yeah, in my, in my early 20s, I had just returned from a Mormon mission where it became very clear to me that I was obsessed, as I would put it, with men. I'm spending all this time in intimate quarters with men and having so much obsession about it. So yeah, I was 20. So you just thought about everything, didn't do anything. Right. I was a good Mormon boy. I was a really, really good Mormon boy. Like I said, I'd rather die than do something that I shouldn't do. So I thought about death a lot. But I told my dad, I said, I've got these same-sex attraction feelings and I'm breaking down and, and I want help. And my dad said, well, let's get you into therapy and so that's what started. I was 21 years old, and I, that's when I started my decade run of, wow. of conversion therapy. And how'd that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I exhausted, I disproved all the studies because I was such a good student, and I wanted nothing more. It was No one was pushing me to do this. I alone, because of the way I'd been indoctrinated, wanted anything but to be gay. So I was willing to go to any lengths. And I just proved all the theories. They tell you in, in this like anti-gay therapy that, you know, once you get enough, you're, you get in touch with your masculinity enough and you get enough um, straight friends who value right. your masculinity that it'll diminish. And I, I was at the center of a very straight masculine group of friends who adored me. Thanks to all my therapy, I took all the risks to get there. And so I was kind of living pretty authentically in a lot. I was in, you know, doing interior design work and I had all these straight friends, but I was still gay as ever. I was more gay than ever. You know, I wanted more closeness and was having more gay thoughts. So it was like, this is not working. So you kind of fouled up their uh, curriculum, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just um, the center. I was a rock star. You know, I, I had I had stopped all compulsive behavior. I, I had kind of gone through all the steps in a fascinating way with Mormonism that you really can only appreciate if you were uh, Mormon. But in the end, I was like, uh, I was in the bishopric. If if I got any Mormon leaders out there, you know, listeners out there, but um, the bishop, what the bishopric they call it. But I was assistant to the bishop, and I was basically helping to lead this congregation as uh, as a very morally straight gay man, you know. So I was very high profile, very well liked, very influential. But this voice told me, "You need to get out." My inner voice, which I had ignored most of my life, but it's just the pain and the pain and the pain. I thought, I'm going to listen to that voice, even if it kills me, which I thought it might. So I thought, I'm going to try, I'm going to step away from church. And if I don't like it, I can just die 
or I can come back. And then after I'd been away from church for six months, it seemed pretty stupid not to experiment. The voice said, Jared, it's time to be gay. Go, try it out. If you don't like it, you'll know, but you got to go. And so, of course, it was the most natural thing on the planet and um, helped at a much deeper level to dissipate. Actually, owning my sexuality was the thing that really, really started to dissipate the darkness that had haunted me my whole life and dissipate the shame. So it wasn't, it wasn't just bringing you know, my dark things to light. It was that I had to be who I was. I had to step into joy to really um, displace that darkness. So when did you come to Palm Springs? Well, that, you know, I, I, I came out to everyone in my small community in Eastern Washington. And, uh, Wait, so you jumped from, you were in Utah before, right? Well, I grew up in, I grew up in New Mexico, but I was in Washington, Eastern Washington while all this was happening. Oh, Mormon, really? but not a Utah Mormon. We're, we're in Eastern Washington. It's called the Tri-Cities. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. Well, I'm from Seattle. Yeah, so. you're from Seattle. So, you know. Okay. Yeah, very conservative. Anyway, uh, I came out to, to everyone in um, Tri Cities because I wanted to be bold and brave and not run away like a like a scared person. I wanted to really own my story. But after a year of that, it became clear to me that that voice said it's time to move. I got up and moved and was kind of on the road a bit, trying to find my place. Spent a year in the Bay Area, but that voice was constantly pushing me, pushing me until I had heard someone mention this place called Palm Springs. I drove in one hot July evening. And I lit up like I had never lit up. And I thought, I am moving to Palm Springs. Really? I just you knew You came it. during the heat. And I, I love the heat. Uh, I love a hot summer night. I drove in on a hot summer night. It was the thing I was craving. And I thought, this place is... I didn't even know Palm Springs was a gay Mecca. I didn't even know that at the time. I just oh, knew didn't? that it was hot and that it felt right. And I was into listening to this inner voice. So I thought, I'm moving here and... By September, I had a job as a personal assistant and had secured a place to rent, and I was a Palm Springs resident. Wow. And what year was that? That was at the September of 2016. Okay. So you came here right about when I bought my house here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, so, met, we met early on. We were right. both new residents to right. Palm Springs. So then what? Well, I began to meet interesting people that really changed the way I saw the world. One of them is our mutual friend, Mark Hollenstein. He opened my eyes a lot. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't actually pay him for coaching, but we started working together and our work together influenced me heavily. And I met a man, Gary Stewart, who ran Const Family Constellation Healing, which shifted my perspective of the world. But honestly, it was my time with Mark that taught me that I could be whoever I wanted to be, really empowered me to say, what kind of gay man do I want to be? Right. So I did... I experimented. I thought, well, I got to find out what kind of sex I like and what kind of fetishes I'm into. So I started doing a bunch of things that didn't feel right. That's the bottom line. And I kept thinking, well, it's your Mormon shame. Just push through, push through. In time, though, I realized it's not just my Mormon shame. I'm kind of sensitive to the energy around sex. And I just need to honor that. Like, that's who I am. Right. So I started realizing that. I just started paying attention, logging. What energizes me and what depletes me? And so with, I gathered, by the time I gathered enough information, I realized that I am not somebody energetically who can be penetrated by a bunch of men and feel good because it like, I'm, I get so close to their energy, I lose touch with who I am and it feels exhausting. I'm very sex positive. I love men to do whatever feels right to them. I love the playful energy that I was finding in Palm Springs around sex. I just had to be honest with myself what was working for me and what wasn't. 
And yet I felt this, like, I call it my inner slut. Like my inner slut just wanted to be set free. And there were so many men that I wanted to experience on a deeper level than a handshake or a hug. And so I just asked myself, what is it that you're wanting? And I thought, I want to touch. And with some men, I want that to be naked touch. And with other men, I want that to be clothed touch. And where can this, where can I find these things? Well, I'm an avid partner dancer. So I thought, well, when I'm country dancing at the gay bar or I'm Latin dancing, uh, at the casino, I thought, I'm just going to invite my partners to be sexier with me so that I can get, I can f- start to fulfill the thing I'm wanting. And uh, I started asking men, I thought, I want to keep like, quote unquote, hooking up, but I thought I need to shake up the expectations. So I thought I'm going to call it, I'm going to invite men to have what I call like a touch experiment. And they would be like, what is that? You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm like, I want to get with you, but here's the boundaries. There'll be no sex. And in some cases, no kissing. So, and they're like, well, then what are we even going to do? And I said, well, I'd like you to find out. Are you, if you're in, I'm in, you know? So then I could work my magic, which was touch, sensual touch, which was energetic, which was all the things I was learning about how, how to feel my energy and aura and kind of send that into another person. And many times men would say, I've never experienced anything like that. Like that was so delicious. Many times we would both orgasm, but I was just feeling so empowered to get what I wanted without getting what I didn't want. Right. Uh, Or giving up what you didn't want to give up. Yeah, yeah. Protecting my energy. It just was. I felt like I could fly and I was having more joy than I could contain. Which that whole idea led you into something else. What was that? (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, uh, this idea... Actually, it was our friend, Mark, who said, you should become a professional cuddler. So I looked into it. I took a training, got certified with a company and started getting, uh, started offering a service to men that I may not necessarily pick up my own accord, but men who are craving something similar. And so I could set the boundaries. Um, we could do an energetic exchange. They could pay me cash and I could give them of my time and skills that I'd been honing ever, you know, so, so fervently. And so then I started to develop an identity in town as the hugger and the cuddler. And everywhere I went, uh, men who were looking for touch could just basically line up one right after the other to have a moment with me, whether it was at the tea dance or at the country bar. Uh, The leather bar is one of my favorite places to go because at the leather (laughs) bars, there's less rules. And uh, there's more. You could go a little further. You know, groping is appropriate between consenting adults And so I could have these experiences with men where I could, you know, get what I was wanting, offer what I was wanting to give, have an amazing, just amazing energetic flow within my sexuality and then be done. So I was just. And all the while with your clothes on. And all the while with, in in most cases with my clothes on or whenever it felt right, clothes off, you know, it just, it just was the right thing for me. At the bar, you can take your clothes off. Well, there's some fun bars in okay, Palm Springs. Okay. Well, yeah, I, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so fun, Wilkinson, because the things that felt so that felt like like dark places or where people do quote unquote bad things were some of my favorite places to go. All the nastiest places in town were like my favorite places to be because I realized that I could. I could bring whatever I was looking for and I could attract that out of whoever else was looking for it simply by being clear about what it was that I was wanting. So I could go to these places, brightest, body-affirming cuddle sessions in the corner, touching men's lives, touching my own life, and leaving feeling so much love and so much connectedness in all the, you know, 
sex clubs I could find. Like, and I did that with, I, when I would visit other cities, I'd go to bathhouses. And now I had these skills around being comfortable saying no, being comfortable setting boundaries, being comfortable being specific about the kind of experience I was looking for and letting the guys that wanted that find me and just turning what might be like, you know, a slimy place, quote unquote, turning it into a beautiful, beautiful experience. It made me feel so powerful and really shaped for me the beauty of sex and touch and affection. And instead, it's like now, instead of feeling bad and guilty about this, like Jeffrey Dahmer pedophile energy that like haunted me as a kid, I see that I took this family legacy of stifling and suppression and dirtiness around sex. And I just transmuted it into something that was bright and beautiful and delicious, respecting and affirming and all this stuff. So I just feel so goddamn victorious in that way. (laughs) (laughs) I could have ended up in jail. I could have ended up in a life of secrecy. You know, one one of my best friends molested his sons. Mm -hmm. uh, And I just... I just felt so compelled to kind of support him in his journey. And over a 10-year period of time, we became very close. And he he's really unusual. I mean, he he crossed some serious boundaries, but he, in all sincerity, owned them, took responsibility for what he did, uh, took the risk of going to prison. You know, all the things that someone who's crossed a boundary should do to make proper reparations. And I just was so touched by the fact that it just kind of put things in perspective. Like anybody can make a huge mistake. Anybody can have a torturous childhood. Anybody can have a lot of dark experiences and can be pushed into something where they hurt someone else. I am so moved and touched by someone who makes a mistake, but then hangs around to take responsibility for it and bring it into the light. I just love those people because when, when you remove the secrecy from something, you open up all possibilities for healing. It's like if you, if you burn a field down to the ground, but you, you know, you, you um, don't deprive the nutrients or the sun or the water, new things will grow in that devastation. And that's what I've seen as I've, you know, in my, in my years and years in, in, um, you know, 12 step recovery, I've just, I've been able to see people who, who do that in such a beautiful way that I'm a huge fan of just put your shit out there. Bring it to the light. Find the safe people where you can just really, really be vulnerable because it's the thing that you hate about yourself the most that holds the gift to your like greatest joy and growth and expansion. But if we're so scared of letting anyone see it, then we don't get to experience like our greatest mm. goodness, you know? So where are you with your family today? Well, Interestingly enough, I had to tell, you know, my parents are so so stalwart when I left the church, you know, my mom almost threatened that maybe, you know, that the cancer she was fighting was kind of, I mean, she was blaming you for her She's kind of blaming me. Yeah. She doesn't remember that. She feels terrible about it now. Just terrible. But I told her, I was like, well, I'm going to be gay. So if that's a factor and you staying alive, then you better prep for death. Um, because I can't live my life for you. And so that, that kind of put us at odds for, for about five years. We only saw each other in person for a short time, once, once or twice a year and we're on the phone, very limited. So I felt like I'd lost my, my parents. My, my siblings were, were very supportive because three of them had already, um, left Mormon church. So my siblings were supportive. My extended family was not supportive. I was very close with my cousins. But during the pandemic, um, this was, this would have been like five or six years after coming out being gay and after this distance with my parents, things kind of started to change for me in Palm Springs. And I got sick and it ended up in my parents' home in Southern Utah. 
Now, they weren't living there at the time, so they um, said, yeah, go be in our house and just recuperate and just be in the mountains and the clean air of Cedar City. Well, they ended up, I ended up staying there and they ended up moving back in and we ended up living together, which was very strange at first. (laughs) But my parents had changed and they missed me. And I was a different person. I no longer was so, you know, so much of the anger that I'd had had dissipated because it's hard to be angry when you're living your joy. It's really hard to hate people when you're when you're seeing the value of your suffering. So we just started this ping pong back and forth of trying to love each other, but we believe so diametrically opposed that we found a lot of challenges and how do we love each other without stepping on each other's, you know, sacred beliefs, so to speak. And so that's been this challenge, but we are navigating it beautifully. We both decided, we kind of came to this thing where we don't care if the other person is quote unquote wrong. I told my mom, I was like, you guys see me as deceived. Like, I'm no longer in touch with God. I'm deceived, but you love me anyway. And I see you as in denial. You're so into your religion that you can't see the truth. And that's offensive to both of us. And neither one of us could live in that energy and be healthy. But for the sake of, you know, we don't have to live in each other's energy all the time. Because we there's people who who love what you're doing and there's people who love what I'm doing. Let's cling to that. And let's be secure in ourselves. So when we come together, let's not ask that of each other. Let's not ask that of each other to have to like celebrate each other at the, at the deepest level. Let's just find what we can celebrate and be really open about calling it out. So we've had a lot of fun. Um, we've kind of turned it into, it seems like it's turned into a game where we're pointing out the cool things that we like, the cool things that we have in common. And when we step on each other accidentally, we're both really practicing boundaries. I don't, I've told my parents, like, I don't want to step on their religious beliefs anymore. And I don't want them to step on my gay beliefs anymore. So when we do, we apologize and we forgive. But because we're both trying so diligently to respect each other's boundaries in that way, it really creates a safe zone. So I've been loving this chance. I've, I've like, I don't live in Palm Springs anymore. I'm not sure where my path will take me for right now. I'm in Cedar city, uh, living with my parents. I don't, I haven't wanted to leave until the good things that are forming there are formed, but it's been this thing. Like there's this whole thing going on, like on the planet or in our country in particular, where we're really polarized for that very reason. Like fundamentally, we are really mad at other people for the way they believe. So this has been a real chance at the deepest level to practice what that looks like to make space for each other. So I told my parents, like, I don't want violent consequences for what I believe, but I can surrender needing your celebration of me. But you have to surrender needing my celebration. I can't celebrate your Mormonness. I can't do it. But I can celebrate your creativity and I can celebrate your cooking and I can celebrate your generosity and your hospitality and your sense of humor. And I can revel in all the gifts that you've given me as my parents. Doesn't that feel good? Well, (laughs) goddamn, yeah, it does. My parents love the gratitude. They love me pointing out all the good things they did right. They did plenty of things wrong, but it's so fun to point out what they did right. And now they're doing the same to me. Well, you're a really good son in this way. And you, we really appreciate how you are like this. And so, so they're able to enter into that. And yeah, we, we found this. It's like we found this overlap. I call it the joyful overlap. But it's taught me that that's possible. So when I meet someone who's like diametrically opposed to me, I think 
as long as I don't have to sacrifice, like I've got strong boundaries. I'm not going to be anything other than me. So then I have to offer that. You can't be anything other than you either. And let's just see if there's any overlap. And if there's not, let's just give each other space. Let's stop talking to each other out of love. Like that's an act of love to tell somebody, I'm going to give you space so I don't trot on your sacred beliefs. I love, to me, that's love. What else do you want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Wilkinson. You have a list there. I know. You You came with notes. Is there anything that's popping out at you? That you want yeah, to talk about. I didn't. I definitely didn't want to be, um, you know, boring or whatever. No, you're not boring. But I'm saying, is there anything on the list as you look at it that you want to touch on right now? Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to talk about. I really like this this cuddling thing that I did because in my cuddling training, it really talked to me about how you need to ask for what you want. You got to right. get clear about what you want. And that's and, and just to be clear, this is not a sex thing, right? It's, it's actually a, non-sexual. It's, just, it's non-sexual yeah. cuddling. Period. Yeah, it's non-sexual. Yeah. Okay. So, as a cuddle practitioner, you have to be clear about your boundaries, and you have to set that expectation of what you're wanting, and then your client, then you ask your clients to do the same. And it's really shaped and shifted my um, my social life, or just my life. In that, like, that's something I really want to promote and and do. And it's kind of changed everything because when we get what we when we ask, when we know what we want, we get it. That's kind of a thing. Like we get it. So I like to talk about that. And um, we'll talk about it. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I found myself, I would go back to Eastern Washington where I was an avid salsa dancer and I'm a different, you know, I go back there, but I'm not the same. You know, I was a closeted homosexual when I left there. Right. And so now all my friends are trying to recalibrate to you're, you're an open gay man. What does that mean? What does that mean? And so we're having, I'm kind of having fun. Are these Mormon friends mostly? Mostly they're not Mormon friends. My dance friends were not Mormon friends. Yeah. So they were, they were uh, instrumental in helping me to transition from one out of Mormon community because I had this fun salsa dance community. So when I go up there, I, I'm telling my, my lady friends, I'll say, I'd like to dance sexier with you. Um, I want to have a sexy dance. And of course, I'm gay, so they feel really safe about right. doing their thing. But they'll, when we're done, they'll say, I love that. I want more of that. And I said, well then you need to ask for that because see the dance community attracts a lot of respectful men who are never gonna, they're going to think that's disrespectful. So you need to say to them, I want, this is what I'm wanting. Will you cooperate with me and just be clear. It's just about the dance. Be clear that you're going to ignite their sexuality, but that there's no finish line. You're not going home with them. (laughs) You're not taking, you know, you're not responsible for their orgasm. Let them know that up front. So they make the decision you need to be empowered as a woman to, to do that, to invite respectful men to enjoy your sexuality. So that's a conversation that I love to have with, with women and I love to have it with gay men, whatever it is that you're wanting, because there's nothing how, wrong. How is it with straight men? <laughs> well, <laughs> straight men, they get the shaft because the straight men have done so much harm on the planet that we're kind of done with that like toxic masculinity of straight men taking what they want whenever they want it, you know, at, at the expense of everyone. Granted, there's so many deliciously healthy boundaried straight men that it's not fair to lump all straight men into some sort of toxic form. But straight men do have to be careful. Men, when it comes to men and women, men have to be really careful about aggression and about, about their, their sexuality. You know, when they, when, as men, when we get aroused, we become very focused. And so we need to be aware of that focus so that we're not pushing ourselves onto people who don't, who don't want that, you know? Right. So, yeah, I always tell straight men like, yeah, you kind of like, you got to sort that out. 
there's a whole shit storm <laughs> there that, you know, you got to make up for all the straight men who ever been bastards. But I, I got into this work with Mark Hollenstein and, and it's what brought me again to Palm Springs, why I'm here chatting with you now in your Palm Springs home, where we do this this thing of empowering women. We call it the goddess mastery experience. But anyway, we we empower women into their inner goddess because that's a work that I really identify with. I really identify with um, my own empowerment, empowering gay men to get what they want, and really empowering women to start to stand up and open their sexuality and get what they want. So how many of these uh, workshops have you done with Mark? Probably it's like six or seven. Oh, really? Yeah. Over a period of multi-years, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years. And you just finished one this weekend. Yes. How'd yeah. that go? It's it's so spectacular. It is so spectacular to to um, empower someone through their... Again, it's it's just all the things I've been taught. You know, it's the things that, that so many of us go through where we feel shame. We don't like who we are. People have told us that we're unworthy. And so we have, we're all locked up inside. And so to get together in community and begin to show where we feel we're unworthy allows us to dispel the the unworthiness and to dispel the shame. And then once, and then to dispel the anger that we ever let someone make us feel like that. And then to dispel the sadness that we've been locked of all the things we've missed out on. The sadness is so deep. And so when you do that in community, you free up all of this energy to start to ask yourself, what do I want? And I can have what I want. And so um, people transform. Now life becomes exciting because we're not stuck. Uh, we can have what we want. It's just, it just starts to become an, a playful experiment of what is it that I'm wanting? And then, then we let life kind of bring us the ideas of how to get it. Right. So if you had some advice to my listeners, what would it be? Bring dark things to light in a safe community. I love that piece of advice. Find people that you can share things with. I like the idea that that uh, ask yourself what it is that you're wanting. And if you're not getting it, it's probably just, you know, anger and sadness that's keeping you from it. I like the conversation as a, what do you think, what do you want that you think you can't have? And why do you think you can't have it? So I guess I, I, I just, I'm a huge fan. It's been everything to me to, to be able to step in after having this like devastating th- first 30 years of my life where everything that I wanted was taken from me through my religious indoctrination to take that and to step into this place where I ask myself, well, I can, to, to know that I can have whatever I want, or at least I know that it's okay to want what I want. It's okay to want what I want. So if I, once I know that it, it really shifts everything. All right. Thanks for coming in. Hey, it thanks. Was a, Wilkinson. It was a good chat. It's been a pleasure. We need to do it again. Absolutely. Okay.